I came up with the sound for Do It Again, the drum sound at the beginning of Do It Again. It's a series of delays. They, uh, they all went to lunch and I worked the sound out this, and I played it for them when they came back and they liked it. Welcome back to the Sail On Podcast. This is Wyatt in Nashville, Tennessee. I just got back from a three-week tour with the group and also spending a couple days with family for Thanksgiving. Now I'm back home with my wife and dog and it feels great. I have a lot to be grateful for and uh, this is a monster episode today so I'm going to keep this brief. I don't even want to mention it but and i didn't even realize it but five years ago i started this podcast i set out to make a show that i wanted to hear as a fan of the beach boys and it's been a lot of fun growing and figuring it out a lot of work also three hundred sixty-five thousand downloads later i'm still doing it it wouldn't be possible without all the amazing folks that helped me along the way all the guests that I've had over the last five years. And of course, a huge thanks to Will and John, who we will turn over to now as we break down the first of the 2020 sessions. Thank you guys. Hi guys, we're back and we are ready to talk about 2020. Are you ready, Will? Yeah. Let's get into it. So let's uh, let's set up what the Beach Boys were doing by the time they started to record a next album. Okay, so Friends was put together in kind of mid-April and the Beach Boys went out on tour at the start of April and Martin Luther King was killed. So that sort of threw some of that tour into disarray, but it wasn't completely cancelled like some of the histories have reported. They sort of just... I think it sort of just knocked attendance and they didn't do a couple of shows or something. And then soon after that, Carney was born, which was kind of an important thing in Brian's life. They had the Maharishi tour, which obviously went really badly. And um, I think Wyatt talked about that in the last episode a bit. And they came back from that and were like, okay, not the best. What do we do now? And Dennis went out and made a friend who we'll talk about later, I'm sure. And then after that, they just... Uh, basically started to record a new album very shortly after friends it's only been about a month and a half since the last one wrapped up and 
they got in the studio again. Uh, but 2020 took a long time to record and it came out as sort of like a breaking point in the group's history as the one that the first one really that Brian didn't produce, even though he had, it, the last few albums have been credited produced by the Beach Boys. This is the first one where the group was sort of con contributing in equal measure and Brian sort of dropped out a little bit halfway through and they ended up kind of salvaging it and uh, coming up with a lot of new material in the fall and it turned into sort of an odds and ends album by the time it eventually came out. And it's sort of got a long interest in confusing and mysterious history. <laughs> so the last few albums we've talked about were all credited as produced by the Beach Boys when in fact, you know, Brian was still running things, but he was slowly kind of preparing for this this uh, this phase where he becomes another Beach Boy. And on this album, it's by far the most disjointed album they've done so far because yeah. um, after they kind of started, like every other album with Brian, producing a whole bunch of his material, um, you know, originals, covers a lot of it didn't get finished and we're going to talk about a lot of that material today. And so for the first time we have this album where all the songs have individual production credits, which even then are still weird and somewhat inaccurate. And yeah, like you said, it, it, it doesn't really have an identity. I think that's something that, that we're going to kind of talk about. Yeah. All we, these albums. Yeah. Do you want to go ahead and talk about that? Yeah. I was just going to say, we brought this up before we started doing this last night. And it's, it's sort of the thing with Smiley Smile. You know, every album up to this point, you can sort of trace what it is at that point in history and how it came together. I mean, Smiley Smile ended up being, you know, the sort of home movie, minimal, spacey, quiet, um, gentle, sort of humor album version of Smile. Wild Honey was the quote unquote R&B album, however true that is. Um, Friends is a very definite thing you know it's it's a cohesive vision throughout the album it's got similar themes in the songs it's got this sort of jazzy playful sort of breezy gentle sort of feeling to it that kind of pervades everything but 2020 they start recording songs that sort of have you know a, a thread of sound through them but if you look at what they're doing it's not like they went into this with a vision of what the album was going to be this they're basically just recording beach boys music but whatever beach boys music like is it after all this you know they've gone through all the smile stuff and they've gone through well honey and friends and they're recording in a quite unique way at brian's home studio most of the time and they're basically just doing whatever tracks they feel like at the time um and it doesn't really have like a, a solid identity i think it's sort of a lot of people compare this sort of period to the white album in that way and it's just you know just recording songs it's not like an overarching concept like sergeant pepper or whatever it's 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 like just just it's just a reflection of whatever they were into at the time um but there, there is sort of a you know there are sort of things that run through 2020 and it's mostly i think the creepiness <laughs> i think a lot of people point to it it's quite a dark album it's sort of kind of eerie and sleepy in times especially brian's stuff that he worked on before i guess you could call it the pause because at the start of it they basically worked through may and june and some stuff at the end of July, which was for a single, with with Brian running most of the sessions. Um, although even then there was some more sort of democratic stuff going on with Carl kind of stepping in a little bit and Bruce did a song. And then after that, there's, there's a break where a lot of the stuff doesn't get finished. It's almost like a whole album project in itself that was abandoned and left undone. And then they came back in September, October and November to finish it off. And only a few things that were recorded in the summer ended up being used. It was just do it again. Um, near as far away place and I went to sleep and then the rest of it was pretty much 
like new material, new material, whether that's Brian or the band or using old tapes or, you know, Carl and Dennis coming up with stuff. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think if there's one thing you can say about these songs, there's, there's sort of a theme of looking back in a lot of them. There's like going back to old songs like Old Man River and um, the whole nostalgia and do it again. And they're doing covers like I Can Hear Music and Bluebirds Over the Mountain. Um, you know, that's sort of the only thread that you can, that I can think of that goes through 2020, but it's, it's an all, it's, it's a strange album up to this point and it's a real turning point for them. Yeah. It, it's a very strange album. And, and like you said, a, a lot of that is the result of, um, you know, so one thing I think of is on wild honey, on these albums that were produced by the beach boys on wild honey, you have the rest of the band besides Brian doing a song, how she boogalooed it, but it's still done in a similar style to everything Brian was doing. Yeah. And on friends, on friends, you have Dennis writing two songs for the first time, but they're both arranged and produced by Brian and they sound like the rest of the songs. And then on here you have Bruce producing this, Dennis doing these songs with Carl's help. You have a few smile tracks. You have a few of the new Brian songs and there's, not really much holding it all together besides um, kind of this pervading darkness in the music. Yeah, I mean, like, if you take Be With Me and put it next to I Went To Sleep, those songs have just nothing in common with each other sonically. Exactly. The Brian stuff, if you put it together in a playlist, is all like, okay, I can see, you know, this is all one project, but the rest of it, like, I can hear music and Bluebirds Over the Mountain, like, its own thing again, so. Yeah, and even then there's a bit of strangeness with uh with Brian's material because it is you know it, it it's a bit unified but it's it's more all over the place than it had been mm, yeah anytime before and um through all the music we're going to talk about in this episode this first of of two parts here um a lot of it doesn't get finished and it feels a little bit like he was feeling a bit scattered there's not much that even comes out of these few months of recording that is finished and mixed and ready to go on an album. There's a lot of tracks that just start and go nowhere. His attention span sort of falling off at this point. Right. And uh, the, uh, the sessions start in a little bit of a weird way. So they were probably doing some renovations on the home studio, right? And so yeah, they I all so. began recording at, at a, a new studio called Valentine or Valentine. And they brought Brian's piano there, so we can assume the home studio probably wasn't ready for use. Yeah, and this was just a four-track studio that they some like some of them had worked in in '67 in some way because uh, Mike and Bruce tried doing a Pickle Brothers session there, um, so they had some familiarity with this place. And it's like just a small four-track studio, which was like this photos of it. It looks really comfy and like a very fancy-looking studio. And it was I think it was near where Bruce lived over in West Hollywood, so that was one of the reasons they decided to use it. And they basically did about a week of sessions there, just working on four track. Um, and that was basically the start of the album. And they started it with a song uh, that was not a song written by the Beach Boys. It's one of the first times, I mean, it, I think it's the first time they ever used a song by an outside writer and it didn't come out on an album. Maybe for that reason, it's a thing called We're Together Again, which is credited to a mysterious guy called Ron Wilson. John, talk about Ron Wilson. <laughs> sure. Um... <laughs> Thanks to our friend Pat, who did some digging, uh, we know a little bit about this mysterious guy that Brian got into. His name was Ron Wilson, but I think he his real name was Lucius Wilson. He was a 
singer and a songwriter who had published a lot of songs with Day One Music, which was Terry Melcher's publishing company, um, or Doris Day's. And he had written some kind of R&B soul songs, and a lot of them he'd written with Sam Cooke's co-writers. And basically, he wanted to be the next Sam Cooke, and Brian thought he was going to be. He really liked this guy's voice, really liked his songs. I have no idea how he met him. There's a lot of people in this <laughs> in this later period where we don't really have a lot of anecdotes about Brian's personal life and the people he was meeting and how much he hung out with them because, um, you know, he kind of dropped, dropped off the map a little bit in terms of publicity. There wasn't, there weren't cameras and, 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 uh, journalists at all the sessions like there were for smile. Yeah. I mean, you think it could have been through Terry Melcher or something if it was through his production company or songwriting company or whatever it was. Right. Yeah. There, there were some connections in place so you can imagine how, how these two met, but it, yeah, that, that's just something interesting itself. Brian's personal life just kind of becomes less documented and and he starts hanging out with less people and becoming more of a hermit. Yeah, but, I, feel, I feel like we know a lot more about Brian in the early 70s than we do in the late 60s. Yeah, he, he kind of cultivated this whole legend about being a guy who stayed at home in bed and then began to live it himself. But um, yeah, anyway, he, he met this guy, Ron Wilson, and somehow... Um, I don't think Ron himself ever recorded the song, or if he did, it's never been released, it's not out there, but Brian got a hold of this song, We're Together Again, which was apparently written just by Ron Wilson, that's how it was published, I think on one of the newer releases they they put Brian's name in the credits, I don't know how true that is. Yeah, I think that's just an assumption, because it sounds like a, like quite a Brian thing, but uh, you know, the basic, the material itself is kind of sort of basic in a way that you could think someone else wrote it and then Brian sort of put it into a very Beach Boysy style with all the key changes and the eighth note sort of thing to it. Yeah, he he arranged it and produced it for sure. Um, and it, it's not... There's not really much to the song itself. It, they kind of just sing the words of We're Together Again over and over. Yeah. <laughs> Especially at the end, that's that, that becomes all that the song is and, and Brian embellishes it with all those key changes and has it continue to to rise up a half step like every couple seconds um but anyway um yeah the recording of the song the the way they went about these recording sessions was very different to friends um they weren't doing things in the home studio they had this this new place valentine and instead of getting the same wrecking crew guys to to do the tracks they were doing them all themselves so everything on this is played by the beach boys besides the strings which are all added later um brian bruce carl and dennis played on the basic track piano roxichord bass and drums and they did some overdubs of extra guitars basses keyboards and the vocals and i think all six are singing on this right yeah the entire group's on this one it's um it's a really simple track as well it's sort of just like a like a little pulsy sort of thump underneath the vocals it's really a vocal showcase this one it's, it's one of the best sort of later period mm-hmm. group vocal things they did with all of them singing the entire arrangement live just on two tracks we're together again darling we're together Together again. We're together. 
It begins with Dennis. He sounds a lot like Carl in this one. It's a real soft Dennis vocal. Carl has his response, and then Brian does the thing in the, in the verses where he's singing like quite low down again in his head voice, and he gets that like really nasal squawky sound. But he's really good at it at this point. It's a really good vocal. Even though it's, it's, it is quite an unusual thing, you know, Murray had some sort of investment in this song because it was purchased by Sea of Tunes and his name's on the tape boxes, so I think he sort of wanted them to record it. And uh, Murray ended up taking a track that they did later and having a group called Snow add vocals to it. And the lead singer on that sort of sings it a lot more powerfully and straight than Brian, and it's a, it's a really different sound. Yeah, this, this sort of just goes on and on into this big sort of overlapping group vocal thing. They did the basic track on May 22nd, they added vocals on May 27th, probably added the overdub in the middle with the guitars and bass on May 26th when they were doing Do It Again because it sounds the same. Um, and then on May 29th they took it over to Wally Hyder's studio where it was copied over to A-Track and they added some strings onto it, which just playing the fade out. And it's like another one of these Brian things in this period where he adds strings to something and they're really not very like prominent in the mix like he hides a whole string section and it's sort of just hidden at the end of the song like in the fade out you know the way he's done stuff on friends which ended up being buried in the mix and wake the world and aren't you glad it's sort of just like they're there just for one moment in the song basically um and then sometime after this in june they they tried to do some new vocals on the track but didn't finish it just by basically redoing this the same vocal arrangement but brian sings it a little bit softer and i don't think they finished that i'm not really clear on which parts are from when, but, and that's pretty much it. There's a mono mix of this song that was done before the strings were added that ended up on the Tufa, and that's actually a 1968 mono mix. So that was sort of a complete song at that point, and then they added some more stuff to it. Yeah. Um, just thinking a little bit, I wonder if Murray was Brian's introduction to Ron Wilson. He was, he was, he was quite a bit older than Brian. I think he was in his like mid 30s at mm. this point. And he was definitely doing softer music that, um murray would have liked um yeah I, I have a lot of questions about how how this whole thing came about because like you said up until this point they were doing original songs written by brian or other people in the group or covers mm. and this is the first time that they actually record a new beach boys song written by someone else and it's the first recording of it yeah um, and there were a few times they did that sort of thing over the years and then none of them ever ended up coming out you know they did rick hen with soul up on sunshine because that was sort of mm -hmm. more his song than brian's i think um and then don goldberg with sweet and bitter and then eventually they i think the first time they had something like that that actually ended up being released on an album was um the stevie wonder song on the 1985 album Ah, uh, they had winds of change Don't oh yeah of course yeah forgot about that one <laughs> Yeah, so the next song they recorded just two days after they started this one was All I Want to Do. 
Yeah, and that was on May 24th, and this is an only version of the song that ended up being recorded for the um, final Capital album in 1969 and then ended up on Sunflower. But it goes all the way back to here, and it's just a simple little, quite minimal track that they didn't end up doing vocals for. It came out on the 2018 copyright set. The most notable thing about it is that it has sitar, which is the first and only appearance of that instrument on a Brian Wilson production. Yeah, it's. Um, I remember there was some interview in 1966 or 65 or something where Brian was asked about the whole sitar craze and if he'd use a sitar on, a, on an album. And uh, I think he said that, you know, if he, he writes a song that would use a sitar and it's like it would fit the song, he'd, he'd go for it. And it apparently took him a long time to get to it, but this is the only time he ever did that. So the basic track for this one, it's just, I think it was just Brian playing bass, Carl on rhythm guitar and Dennis on drums. Then they have an overdub of Brian playing the roxichord and Carl adds another bass part in the bridge, which I think it sounds like a six string bass. And then for a third overdub, they've got Carl, trying, um, Carl playing the 12 string lead figure. And then the sitar's on the same track, so I think it's probably Brian playing the sitar and I don't think of who, can't think of who else it would be. And it's a really simple part, it's just like one note every, every measure. Um, and it's very simple, it's, you know, it feels a little bit gimmicky, I think, on this one. Uh, a, a little bit, but, you know, when Mike... I don't, I don't know if the lyrics were written by this point. I think they may have been, but when Mike talks about the song, he always relates it to his India trip into meditation mm. and talks about how it was inspired by that. Um, so I wonder if the sitar was kind of meant to evoke that, that you know, Indian transcendental meditation thing, <laughs> which is a... <laughs> A lot yeah, closer but... to that than the, the sax arrangement of, uh, of Transcendental Meditation. Yeah, true, that's one way to think about it. And then finally, we'll get to the song that ended up being the single from this period. So, this song had a couple different titles floating around, right? Do It Again, Rendezvous... Yeah, Surf again. It's, it's not a case where they've. Um, it's not a case where it was called Rendezvous and then it was renamed Do It Again. It was called Do It Again from the start, but I think they were toying around with other titles for it, like Surf Again and Rendezvous. And um, like on one of the later AFM contracts, I think it says Do It Again alternate title Rendezvous or something, and then the original tape box just says Do It Again. One day, I got together with a high school friend, Bill Jackson, and went to our old surf spot in San Onofre. It was one of those perfect Southern California days. The sun, the waves, the girls. It reminded me of how life used to be. I rushed like hell back to Brian's house and literally got him out of bed. I told him about the day and gushed about how great it was and that we ought to write a song about it and we could call it, Do It Again. So Brian sat down at the piano and we did it again. He found the key and I related the words. Ryan included a grooving Hey Now, Hey Now chorus that was patterned after the 50s song Finger Poppin' Time and Do It Again in its lyrics and melody very much evoked the music of our early hits. Carl, it should be noted, added the overdubs and actually finished the record. Yeah, they recorded this at the same studio and they uh, the basic track was their old lineup with Brian on bass, Carl and Al on electric guitars and Dennis on drums and I think it's you know that's kind of the lineup people picture when they picture the classic 
Beach Boys, you know? Yeah, their, I mean, it's their it's, main days, but. It's a deliberate sort of surf callback song. Um, yeah. Dennis is playing like sort of a classic drum pattern on this. It's not like Brian Wilson drumming, it's like normal drumming. Um, then, and then on top of that, they added, Brian added an overdub of uh, piano and uh, Baldwin organ, which is a really cool part where it's sort of this drone and buzz through the verses, and then it's got the nice sort of. It almost sounds like a French horn in the in the in the, in the bridge. Yeah, and the, and the vocals are just no Alan Bruce on this one. Originally, they did the original vocals on May 26th, along with the track, and then later on they sort of copied it to a track and then revamped it pretty much. Like they replaced a lot of things and added a lot of things and turned it into a sort of much more heavily arranged single. But it was very simple at the start when they began recording it. And so yeah, this song got worked on quite a bit and went through quite a few revisions and they were obviously still toying with the title because Mike sang Surf Again at the end of the song and then replaced that with Do It Again later on. So Mike sings the lead um, and they, they used um, this Phillips delay machine to get an ADT effect on the vocals in there. So the sound sort of distorted if you listen to there's a mix of the earliest version of the song, uh, just from that original four-track tape on the Endless Harmony soundtrack, if you want to hear what it sounded like at that point. It's automatic when I talk with old friends, a conversation turns to girls we knew when their hair was soft and long, and the beach was a place to go. It's, it's fun, you can hear Brian on one of the vocal tracks. Uh, going, Mike, your voice sounds bitching on this, and he's like, "Thank you." And Brian's like, "This is groovy." I'm <laughs> like talking while the song's going on. Um, <laughs> so, so, so Mike was a big fan of this. I think uh, Bruce didn't like this thing. He said in the in the press that he <laughs> didn't like this song, but you know, Brian was obviously really into it, and he's called it the best collaboration he and Mike did. Bruce called it bad. Bruce called it bad in the press at the time while they were trying to promote yeah, it. Yeah, he's, he's very Bruce. He's like the <laughs> he's the worst press man ever. The, the group in the chorus is just Brian, Carl, and Dennis and Mike at the stage um, doing these really simple dit-dits. And Carl has a couple of attempts at, at a guitar solo on different tracks. Uh, it's not the, not the best guitar solo. It's a bit messy. Um, they're this all live with the vocals like they were doing in the old days. And then in the bridge on different tracks, Brian sings it like this this high vocal in the bridge where he's trying to sort of replicate his old voice and at this point it's like quite nasal and thin compared to that and it's you know it doesn't sound great i'm sure you could sing better than that if he really put you know did a few more takes but it's not the best <laughs> uh, brian vocal at this point and then on the other track he's sort of doing an octave below and then mike with him is doing an, an octave below that so it's it's a really loose sort of scrappy vocal arrangement um and then yeah, so, so, I mean, listen to the way it sounded at, at that point. It wouldn't have, if it came out as a single, it's not much at that point. Like, it's kind of a cool groove to the track, but it sounds a bit, you know, a little bit lackluster. It's, there's not a lot going on there. And evidently, they decided they wanted this to be a single, so they copied it over to 8-track on May 29th, and then started working it up into a bit more of a substantial production. So, on June 6th, I think, is the next session that's documented with an AFM contract. They added some new vocals, basically, and some new instruments. Where um, Carl was credited as the other producer on this track when it came out in 2020, and I think years later in the 80s he said that "Do It Again" was the first record he produced. And that's not quite true because he always made "Lover" and "Boogalooed," but it's obviously the, the first one that he remembers that was significant. And I think was, Carl was quite sort of instrumental in 
adding instruments basically to this thing because there's a few guitars that get added on here. There's like a sort of low, almost indetectable rhythm guitar in the verses. There's a fuzz guitar that they didn't end up using, uh, playing a sort of low lead line. Um, he redid the solo, which sounds a lot better. It's a really, one of Carl's most memorable solos, I think. With, but it's, you know, it's sort of the dirty dub 68 guitar. It's a real far cry from where they last were. And there's also at this point um, in an early mix that was on an acetate. Um, they had this really thin sounding sort of snare drum they added on top of it and a lot of hand claps would have been a final mix at the time and it's almost the single that that was I guess and it's pretty much the same but there are a few things missing um, vocally from it and there are a few different vocals like in the in the chorus it's different takes and the bridge and stuff um, and there's also this like bizarre mic sort of spoken word monologue in the outro uh, which I, you know, it's kind of half like unintelligible but I think all the vocals that end up coming out are great. You're right. This is kind of a... They kind of had a, a strange, not very great record. And they continued to overdub it until it, it was good. It was... <laughs> and then they came out with a great product. Yeah. And um, what they ended up adding after all that, and they had that, that mix that they didn't use, um, they added a lot more, right? They did more vocals, and fixed up a lot of those parts. Yeah. Yeah, and then they they had two saxophone parts. Yeah, so this is on um June twelfth. And this is a session that apparently Carl produced. I think it's been said by Mike that Carl ended up producing like finishing the overdubs and actually getting the song out. I don't know if this you know, Brian was in one of his depressions and it's just after they did Old Man River actually. I don't know if it's connected to that whole situation where apparently the band refused to work on it anymore and Brian got sort of put out about it, but Carl ended up producing these sort of instrumental overdubs to the end product that really sort of shaped the way that the song came together. They got rid of that, um, you know, bad snare drum they added to it and uh, the first guitar and ended up instead adding these two bass saxophones, which sound great. Like these, uh, Ernie Small and John Lowe are the players. Just sat in this, it's very low end driven already with the Baldwin organ sort of like buzzing along and Brian's sort of lumpy bass. Mm -hmm. um, they, they've added that sort of inaudible guitar that's down in the mix as well and now they've got the saxophones it's a very sort of driving down on the low end track and then the most important part they added on this june 12th session was um this drum overdub which became the defining sound of the track they because the real weak thing about the song i think originally was the drums i mean dennis is you know his playing's fine but it's like it's it's very sort of like yeah there's not you know the parts like really mixed low and it's I don't know. It's not. It's not. It. It doesn't have a really solid groove to it. So they added this new sort of like much more powerful drum part played by John Gurr and the session player. Um, that ended up sort of defining the way the song sounds. It really changes the beat and the feel of the whole thing. And uh, you can actually hear uh, Carl is shaking a tambourine along with him on this thing. So basically what happened with that is they added this new drum part and then I th it's been said that um, Al actually came up with this idea or at least suggested trying it out, but they had this Phillips delay machine that Steve Desper was using and Desper came up with this really cool effect where I'm not sure how he, he's described how it works. I'm not qualified to explain it, but it basically vibrates, um, repeats like the signal like very, very quickly, like milliseconds apart. Like, so it, it's this sort of like cricket sound effect to it. Um, 
And evidently he was sort of messing around with that at some point and they were in the studio and Al said, hey, try that on the drums. According to Bruce, Bruce has said that Al was the one who sort of blurted out with that suggestion. And then they put it on the drums and were like, oh, hang on a second. This is like, this is a really cool sound. And that's sort of the thing that got Desper like the, he said that it sort of got him, cemented him as the engineer for the group. Because at this point they'd been working with Jim Locker since Smiley Smile. With Desper gradually filling in more and more because Jim Locker had some respiratory problems and he would smoke a lot and cough a lot which the other beach boys you know didn't like when they were trying to record because he would just be coughing and he was kind of taking some more, more and more time off ill and desk was filling in for him and eventually sort of agreed to take over as their full-time engineer and um this do it again drum thing sort of cemented him as like their their guy for this um so they ended up recording like a special drum intro just for the song with the effect and it's this like very mechanical sounding really cool um you know, it, like unique sound. There's nothing else like do it again. Um, and the, the way they recorded this is basically Carl had the guy overdub the drums, and then at the end of the track, you, you can hear him on the tape go, "Okay, now play." Like just after the track ends, so he's got the tempo, played a drum part, and then they just spliced it onto the front of the song, so it matched up with the rest of it. Yeah, um, the way this thing ended up coming out is is pretty awesome compared to how it started. I mean, it, it really, I don't know how much of that credit is owed to Carl and how much goes to Brian. You know, kudos to Steve Desper for that effect. That's uh, one of the coolest sounds in a Beach Boys song, in my opinion. Yeah, totally. I mean, like it's, the th- it's sort of the thing that stops this from being just like... Um it deflects the criticism of it being like a throwback and just a, going back to the early, early surf sound because it's nothing like any of that. It's like, it sounds like it's from the future. Like, Yeah, so when, when people say it's it's a throwback song, I mean, it is, but it's it's not completely done in the style of the old Beach Boys or it would sound like it. If you put this, you know, if, if you listen to the Surfing USA album and then the Surfer Girl album and then you put this on, it does not fit in with that sound at all. It's, um, it's got a much stranger arrangement uh and yeah it's just it's just uh something old and new at the same time which is what i think i like about it yeah that's a good way to describe it and then the, the vocals in the final one as well you've got in the the um i guess that you can call it the chorus because it's just a wordless load of vocals but you got that yeah. great scat part that brian actually took from um I mean, it was sort of adapted from a riff by a thing by the Frogmen, which um, influenced well, Surf right, in the first place. Right. And then Brian incorporated it into the um, Laid in Hawaii version of Surf in this, um, the, 
you know, the organ riff going da 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 So then you turn it into the, the basically the vocal melody of the chorus. And um, But what it is here is it's Brian and Carl singing together, which I think a, a lot of people don't really realise. It's not Brian double-tracked, it's just Brian and Carl single-track singing together in unison, which is pretty cool. You don't hear them doing that very often. Um, it's a really exciting sort of part. Like it, it sounds like a trumpet is the thing that people normally mention, and they did it with trumpets when they did it live. They did, yeah. And they didn't have that part initially in the song. No, it, it came later. to the... The, the early versions, they just have the did it it did it it Which is sort of it. weak, and that's, you know, this really makes the chorus when they do this. Yeah, and it's funny because it's it's a chorus, I guess. It it comes at the beginning and the end, but there's no words. It's just, it's just, uh, it's just all these different... Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all these different harmonized scat parts that come together, and it's... Um, it's so great in in that final mix. It's yeah, and I love I love the bridge as well. The way it builds up and they've got the bum bum bum, like, you know, the rising sort of harmonies there, and then he breaks it into the solo, and they all do the hey nows. Yeah, yeah the, the <laughs> it's, it's way really they cool. they all come in separately, one by one, and then they it gets higher, and then they all, you know, they, they did some some vocal arrangements like that on on Friends, but and then the hey nows during the guitar solo, it's so great. Yeah, and there's there's some so good. some quite quiet vocals in the um, back and vocals in the verses as well where it's just a load of them singing one note together and then they go to go into a harmony at the end and you know, you've got Brian and Mike at the end go come and do it <laughs> like it's a sort of lead into the, the final chorus. Which is that a great one's cool. Part. Yeah, I love that part. Yeah. Um it's just a I love this track. It's 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 a really cool track. And then also um for the final vocals when they were redoing some stuff, they got Mike to redo his lead vocal in the final verse to change the ending lyric to do it again, um, instead of surf again. And they just re got him redo the whole verse with this really cool kind of like tape echo on his voice, which in the stereo mix um it's sort of it was mixed together with the early vocal, which sort of dilutes it, I think. But in the original I mean the stereo mix is great. I think that's one of the best stereo mixes of a song that was trapped in mono for ages and we can talk about that in a, as well in a minute but um mm -hmm. the original mono mix you just get mike with a sort of like tape slap and then the drums are really prominent at the end and it gets all quiet and then it sort of explodes at the end and it's a really cool dynamic sort of production um and uh yeah i mean just to talk about the song a little bit i, I brian <laughs> i think he said that um <laughs> there was this great quote where he's on a radio show in like 2011 or 2012 and said with do it again they learned how to do a medium beat like just in his really brian sort of <laughs> yeah. brianism like what do you mean you learned how yeah. to do a medium beat and then he demonstrates by going bum, 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 bum. <laughs> it's uh it's great um <laughs> yeah when you when you think about it though and you think about all their up-tempo singles there there aren't too many that are this slow no that aren't ballads you know yeah so it, 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 it is something different yeah and it's a groove that, that only sense. really sort of came into the song with the drum overdub it didn't have that feel before that which is interesting mm -hmm. um the melody it's just got a sort of great like syncopated thing where mike sort of extends you know the classic mike thing of extending the line like the whole sentence over a, a several lines and breaking it up in a sort of cool syncopated way the bridge is really pretty it's um one of, one of the extra pretty like alongside wouldn't it be nice and stuff you know the sort of iconic Peach Boys bridges and uh, but my favourite version is when Brian performed it live in 96 and he started shouting the chords changes <laughs> while he was playing it yeah <laughs> Thank you. 
Oh, one thing we should talk about is they mixed this song in mono because it was a single and they were still doing their singles in mono. But when it ti- when it came time to make the 2020 album, they sort of did a fake stereo mix, made it, you know, electronically rechanneled is the is the capital mm. lingo for it. But at the end they crossfaded it into the workshop sounds from Smile from um Friday night. <sighs> yeah, from Friday night. And I think Desper said that they just were looking through Smile things and wanted to yeah. <laughs> use what they could and just put it on there because and it doesn't it never really made any sense to me it's cool all. though it's you know it's yeah it's it's i like it but it doesn't make any sense but it's uh, yeah but this they literally just did that because they found the tape and were like you know let's let's see if we can get some use out of this because they made some copies of smile things for 2020 you know they did cap and essence and our prayer but they also um made a safety copy of like the original wind chimes as well as workshop friday night whatever you want to call it and um so that's that's where that's from it's just they're making copies of the old tapes and seeing what they've got and i think they mm-hmm. also it's also this year as well that we think they they maybe tried making a copy of surfs up and syncing up brian's vocal to it not in 71 but that's you know it's just because it's on a track where they tried doing it but we don't really know when they did that for sure yeah yeah it- and it- Steve Jasper has this whole story about why it's not in stereo on the album where he said that they were on the way to deliver the, the single, the capital, and they'd done a stereo mix and then it fell off his car and, uh, and then they, you know, they didn't have time to, you know, they lost it and they didn't have time to go back and mix it again. So they went back and got like a mono sort of full test mix they'd done and, and used that as the single, which I don't know, you know, I, I don't know how true that is because they were still doing singles in mono at this time. So it'd be kind of a strange story, but it might be, you know, have something to do with why they didn't have a stereo mix on the album in the end. Alrighty, so May twenty eighth, still at Valentine, and uh, May twenty. That's a date that's been gotten wrong in some liner notes, I think. But the next thing they did was "Walk On By," a cover of the Dion Warwick song by Burt Bacharach and Hal David. Yes, so. This one is sort of a fan favorite ever since it appeared on that um, Friends 2020 two for CD. Mm. Um, it's a really cool cover, but it's very short. But um, yeah, it's like a minute long. <laughs> <laughs> Brian had some other plans for that that we'll talk about. So at the session, they were recording the song um, with Brian playing a, his piano. Carl playing seemingly an eight-string guitar. That's how it's marked on the track sheet, and that seems to yeah, it's it's an unusual. We still haven't, got back, haven't really got to the bottom of what he was playing on this, but the track sheet says eight-string, and then it you know it matches up with the with the guitar Carl's playing on it because it's an acoustic guitar. I think it has a pickup of some kind, and when he he plays some low notes that wouldn't be possible on a normal acoustic, so it's kind of like a baritone type thing. Um, still a bit of a yeah. mystery. Very strange, yeah. And uh, so it, it was Brian, Carl, and Dennis. And during the session, when they're fooling around with "Walk on By," Brian says, "I have an idea." And then he <laughs> talks about doing a uh, Burt Bacharach medley, where yeah. they do just about a minute of "Walk on By" and then go into a song called "Are You There?" Yeah, it's uh, he mentions Mitch Ryder as um, someone who's done like a two-in-one sort of medley. Um, 
I can't remember what record that is. I think, I think Steve Bonilla told me what that is, and I forgot to write it down. But um, he, he has the idea to do a bit Baccarat medley, which is sort of an unusual Brian thing. But, you know, it's kind of smilish, I guess, in the that he's thinking of doing things in sections. And then Carl, I think it's Carl who suggests doing Are You There? He's the one who starts playing it, um, which is another Dion Warwick song that was uh, a little bit more obscure than Walk On By. And it sounds really pretty. You can hear Carl sort of singing it off mic, and then Brian gets into it and goes, yeah, they'll be bitching. Um, <laughs> And then they didn't do it, they didn't record it, they just did a, they recorded that one minute version of Walk On By, and then I guess sort of finished that fragment, I guess. It's basically done in for what that is, but they didn't do any more, they didn't record like another section of it, they didn't record any more of Walk On By. Um, so it sort of feels kind of frustratingly finished, because it's a really beautiful piece of music. Yeah, essentially, Brian, you can hear him say that they're they're going to record um, only so much of Walk On By and then record another song. And they finished the first half of of that, of that idea and then didn't start the rest. So we have this finished minute long piece. <laughs> yeah, um, it's yeah, which is sad, but it's, you know, for what it is, it's deservedly kind of like a like a fan favorite from from the era so so the track again is just brian on his dj and piano carl's playing that unusual mystery guitar whatever it is and dennis is on drums and tambourine at the same time um and it's just the wilson's on this one which is again um something that doesn't happen very often it's just just the three wilson's playing and sing on the, singing on this thing so then they overdubbed some vocals under the three different tracks now the first track um starts off with brian singing the lead um, really mm-hmm. sort of beautiful haunting lead vocal in this one. He's singing again in his head voice, really low down, and then he goes up to the walk on by another chorus. It's like just, yeah, it's a, it's a really, really, really great vocal. Um, it makes, makes me go all ooh, tingly. Um, <laughs> um, Carl and Dennis have some harmony vocals, and then Carl and Dennis both come in for the, for the part that goes uh, Foolish Pride. And then they sort of sing in unison for a bit with Brian joining in later, and then they all sing a big harmony part for the chorus. Yeah, they, and they have all different harmonies on different tracks when they all all sing the word "cry" over and over again. Yeah, and then the, yeah, on the second overdub they added some um, when they added other vocals. You know, Brian and Dennis double their parts, but Carl has that bit in the middle that's like a sort of chromatic part. Like it reminds, it's very sort of smilish in the way that it's, you know, it's just yeah, um, yeah it's you a lot do like, chromatic things very often. It's a lot like cabin essence in that way. Yeah, yeah. All right, I guess that's all there is to say about that one. So, yeah, do you want on. to talk about this this next thing? Oh yeah, this next thing. This is something we haven't heard, but there's a tape of um, that was done on four track in '68 um, that Carl did, which just seems to be like a Carl solo session that we haven't heard anything from. It's just labeled C. Wilson fooling around tape, and uh, so it's probably done in May of Valentine because it's on four track, and not many things are on four track from that era. And there's just the, the track indicates just that it was piano, rocks chord, and organ. So that would be kind of cool to hear. And it's one of the things that I guess they sort of just overlooked for the 68 set and maybe didn't remember it existed. Um, but that's just another, you know, that would be kind of cool to hear because we, you know, we, so far from Carl, all we've, we've got of him running his own music is um, Tune X. So there's another missing link there that 
It's just waiting to be discovered. So the next thing we got to talk about <laughs> is a song that Dennis did. Um, I think they're back at the home studio now. Yep, on the home studio has so, got like its nice... I think this is when they did the nice paint job and got all the colors there that you can see in the Arcanium music video. And yeah. um, they've got the window cut through. I mean, they must have done some renovations before they did the friend stuff because they've got like a lot of musicians in there. But I think this is when Steve Desper sort of started modeling it into the studio that it would come to be in the next few years. Yeah, this is where it starts looking fancy. And I wish there, are, I wish there were any pictures of it before <laughs> this because I'd love to see how it looked for Smiley Smile. I've got no idea... What to picture when I listen to those? There's got to be some. There's got to be some in Marilyn's house or something. I I, I hope they come to light if, if they do exist. Mm. But anyway, Dennis ended up recording um, a song called "Well, You Know I Knew" um, with his friend, his good friend, his good friend. <laughs> um. So yeah, the whole, you know the whole story. It's been written about to death. Dennis picked up a hitchhiker and then got whole introduced to Charles Manson and they were hanging out and Dennis wanted to sign him as an act on Brother Records. I'm not as well versed in the history as some people are. Um, you know, the, some people can talk about it in a lot more detail than me, but basically, yeah, Charles Manson, about a year before the whole murder thing, you know, um, Dennis was courting him as an artist for Brother Records and they were hanging around with his, his family. Um, in you know in brian's house and dennis's house and sort of just living with dennis for a while and it was this whole quite you know not great scene that everyone was a bit wary of and um it's it's you know when you listen to like something peaceful like i went to sleep it's kind of odd to think that the whole manson stuff was going on at the same time as that it's like oh hang on um it's yeah but basically well you know i knew is something that you know pretty sure Dennis recorded with with Manson because it's sounds you know there's some other things demo things he did it on the same tape which Steve Jasper's talked about that a little bit you know there's been some rumors of how much stuff they did at the house and you know it's it's probably been exaggerated how much they actually recorded but Steve Jasper's kind of got on record and said that he just did like two or three sessions of Charles Manson playing guitar and singing just a demo thing to see how he was and it seems like this is when they did that in June but before that on the same tape there's this well you know I knew thing which is like just a short sort of you know kind of creepy gentle it's also quite pretty tune that Dennis sings harmonies on and there's this nylon string guitar which sounds a lot like stuff on the um, Lie album that ended up yeah that's out. not that's not Dennis and, playing uh, that guitar yeah that's that's Dennis's friend playing guitar on this thing um, and it's it's a it's quite a pretty song it's you know it's 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 just a sort of cryptic intro lyric and then a lot of Dennis going na 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 um, until it ends and uh, it's you know I don't know what there is to say about this thing um, but it's very sort of minor um, in Dennis's sort of development you know, he's written Little Bird and Be Still and he's going to write some full songs soon but this is again sort of just a little sort of fragment mantra sort of yeah, thing yeah and, and we don't even know if Dennis really wrote this thing or if it was um or if it was Manson yeah, who, yeah. who wrote it and just had Dennis sing it because he was already recording lots of stuff at Brian's house at this time and I don't think we'll ever hear it but it's interesting to think about yeah and Dennis did some extra work on this as well there was an untitled session on June 7th which must have been for this song as well because he had as a, um, a flute player well the woodwind player Ernie Small who was in the touring band at the time 
and uh, there's um, a bass flute on this thing. Well, there's two bass flutes, actually, that are just together with Dennis singing the harmonies, kind of blended in with his voice. So he must have been working on this song then. And then there's another session, again, with Ernie Small and uh, a cellist, you know, Igor Horoshevsky. Um, he's been on tour with the Beach Boys before later on in June that we don't really know what that was for because there's no cello on this thing but it might have been for some of the the Charlie stuff um and that got left and it wasn't considered for the album when it was they put together a list of things later and it's sort of just um but yeah that was Dennis's contribution to these sessions anyway the next day back to stuff that Brian was working on he does a a track for a a new original song that he's co-written with Carl which is an interesting little duo um they've been kind of co-producing this stuff almost and now they've co-written a song called I Went to Sleep. Yeah, this is one of the only things that got finished at the time in June and then was eventually released on 2020. And it's a really pretty song. It's waltz, which some with, you know, it's it's very short, very sort of simple observational lyrics. Um, some people have said that it should have been on the Friends album, which, you know, it, it physically couldn't have been because it was too late. But um, your mileage may vary on <laughs> what do you think of that. I think it's sort of frenzy, but I think it's a little bit more sort of low-key and maybe almost creepy in a way that the 2020 stuff is and the the friend stuff isn't um and it was um but yeah it's it's this is a really good this is a really good song Brian playing piano, Jimmy Bond was called in to play upright bass, Jamie Gliori is playing in this very sort of mellow low flute line that I think is probably in an alto flute for some of the notes it has to cover, and they're casting the percussion on bongos and uh, a conga. Yeah, and then we've also got um, a chamberlain on this, the uh, American version of the the Mellotron. Uh, It's doing kind of a cool... I think it's it's the vibraphone setting, right? It's got this cool breezy yeah, sound a, to it. Yeah, the vibraphone. I mean, our friend um, our, our friend Jiggy Twenty Two of Jiggy Twenty Two dot blogspot fame um, recorded kind of a, a version of this on the Chamberlain VST that um, matches the sound. So that's what it was. And vibraphone was also written out and crossed out on the track sheet. So if we can we can play that and you can compare. But it's a very pretty sort of dreamy sort of song. Yeah, and. Um, Vocally, it's got kind of a classic four freshman kind of arrangement, but um, really close harmonies by Brian, Carl, Alan, Mike, the, uh, the original vocal quartet for that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Mike's kind of singing. It doesn't stretch a very a very significant range. Mike is kind of singing a bit higher mm-hmm. on on his um his low part, and it's just a. Uh, it sounds really pretty if you listen to the vocal only version you can hear what i'm talking about yeah and um, it's, um, but yeah just a, a simple live you know four-part arrangement like like some of the the classic songs that brian did that they just double tracked and then that's it and then they have some <laughs> some sound effects going throughout to kind of represent all the different all the different uh things that they mention like they have a little tambourine going when they talk about sprinklers yeah and, and then they have uh 
the birds. Brian starts snoring <laughs> in the instrumental break. Yeah, so, so there's uh, this tambourine for the sprinklers, there's a snore for the I went to sleep part, and then there's um, bird sounds from the chamberlain for the when the birds come up, which is which is great. I love that sort of thing, and it just adds a real sort of pitch, like visual aspect to the song. And uh, yeah. the lyrics are so simple yeah. and they're so sort of, I, I mean, there's, there's been suggestions that there was something darker going on here because there is, there is a story um, of Brian that Brian was sort of self-admitted into um, a psychiatric ward at, this, at some point in 1968. And I don't think it was yet, but some people have sort of connected that to being, you know, he's dosed up on all sorts of stuff to put him to sleep and that's what the song is about which i don't think it's true i think it's more more simple than that but there is quite a sort of melancholy um lost quality to this that sort of makes it feel like a sibling to busy doing nothing in a way where it's brian just going about his very simple life he walks to a park he he sort of just observes things and he goes to sleep and it's it's you know it's it's you know is this what brian was doing in 68 for real i guess probably (laughs) just yeah, I mean, like I said, we don't <laughs> we don't have all these stories of Brian doing crazy things and you know hanging out on Sunset Boulevard with his friends like we do in the Smile era. And um, you know, later when we get into next episode, there's going to be a lot of sessions that the Beach Boys are doing in his house that he doesn't even attend mm-hmm. as a Beach Boy. Um, so with you know having a a, a daughter now. And being burnt out on all everything that happened, this is this is probably a kind of an accurate accurate depiction of what he was doing at the time, which was kind of nothing. Yeah. But um, and it's kind of it's got you know the flute and the harmonies add to this, but it's got a little bit of that Beach Boys melancholy to it. Yeah, I, I love the bridge in this thing as well with the flute melody. It's it's um mm-hmm. very sort of like i don't know mysterious i guess it's it's the way i describe it and uh, the yeah. lyrics are really nice as well again it's just the sort of observational thing and i think Carl's contribution to this thing was writing the lyrics with brian and there are a few lines in there that i think just sound quite Carl. like the whole um some group was playing a musical song and it wasn't too long which i think is a really nice um, it's a really cute line it could be describing I, I went to sleep basically um that just sounds like something carl would say in a sort of like um whispery car voice i don't know <laughs> yeah i i don't i think the music is all brian here i don't think carl had any hand in that but it's a it's mm. a very pretty song yeah and but, it's a great little collaboration yeah i think the publishing for this song actually just has brian's name on it but both brian and carl are on the um 2020 um you know that's right yeah carl's Credited sleeve. on the sleeve, but the um, I believe the sleeve more than the publishing because they left you know the amount of times they left Mike's name off something. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and lots of people's names off lots of things. Mm. So yeah, and, and then, then that was eventually finished for the album and mixed with. I guess we, I mean I'll briefly talk about the mix as well because it's um, a strange mix because what they did after they recorded the basic track was they bounced all the track elements to mono to clear space for more stuff, and then I guess taped over the original tracks with. Um, with the vocals and things which was kind of what they did with the dude again basic track as well but to put that in stereo Desper used the same ADT machine that had been using for the do it again effect and um, you know automatic double tracking on the vocals for some stuff and he sort of put put the track into that to make it like a duophonic backing track with um, doesn't affect everything it's just like the basic track is 
as that but you know if you listen to the percussion it's sort of like it's got this sort of delay on it and it's like the entire track is kind of in duophonic with everything else sort of around it which i can't make my mind up on whether i like it or not because it's on the one hand it's a very clunky way of doing a stereo mix from limited resources but on the other hand it does sort of this sort of add this very sort of like i don't know sleepy quality to the song like it's i don't know it's it's very sort of trance-like and an odd sounding that fits the mood of it yeah you know i i just realized just hearing you talk about the mix there We've gone through so many songs, and this is only the second song we're talking about that's on the actual album, yeah, 2020, even though this is apparently a 2020 episode. Crazy. I mean, Friends looks like that as well. We had a whole episode of talking about outtakes pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is the second album where, where Brian starts a whole bunch of stuff and doesn't finish it, and then the album just becomes something entirely different. Yeah. <laughs> Except yeah. in this case, it, it doesn't really involve Brian as much um, when we get to the actual stuff that they worked on later that year but um yeah so, so the next so the next song we get to um is on june 8th i think because the end the, the date of the end of the harmony liner notes even though we're not quite sure where that date came from these days um with a thing called sail plane song which ended up having a long and complicated history but at this point it was just a very simple thing that they recorded for the album that didn't end up on the album that's a pattern um that brian and carl again co-wrote together yeah um it's a, a very basic song where um, we have again just the boys playing all the instruments. Brian is, it's he's got his detuned piano, which he has on all this stuff. Carl's playing guitar, um, and uh, then we have Brian overdubbing organ, Carl playing a bass, and uh, one of them playing the drums. Um, I'm thinking probably Brian yeah. because he tends to do that when when he can Dennis isn't there yeah yeah and then Brian sings the lead uh, vocal and just in the verses it seems like this wasn't finished at the time it's missing I guess what would have been chorus vocals maybe um but just to talk yeah so so Craig listened to this session for um at some point a few years ago and he left notes on this and this is one that went through a lot of changes um apparently it started out with Brian Brian on piano and Carl on bass Carl switched to 12 string guitar then he went to the drums then Al showed up and started playing bass. Then Al decided he didn't want to play bass and just decided to, he wanted to go and listen and get a good sound from the booth. So Carl went back to the bass. Then he went back to the 12 string. And then Brian and Carl eventually played it, persuaded Al to come and sit down and play like a simple guide beat on the drums to keep time. So you can hear in um, the, the endless harmony mix, if you listen to the edge of hearing, there's like a like this very um, sort of distant hi hat that's keep, keeping time. So this is like a rare Al Jardine drums credit, kind of. <laughs> Yeah, when when you talk about all the switching like that, it's it's a very casual recording, and a lot of this stuff is. It's just it's usually just Brian, Carl, and Dennis, and sometimes Al or Bruce, um, and they all can play pretty much everything. And these are really, you know, the songs themselves are not basic. These are a lot of them are kind of weird. The piano chords here are crazy. Um, the things that that Brian is is has written. Oh yeah, but um, but the actual recording is just very straightforward and and casual, and then his vocal is is really nice. He does um he does some sound effects at the end. <laughs> he starts going new, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, because it's a song about a plane. Um, it's a song about a a sailplane, like a like a like a glider that can also be a boat um, whatever you call that <laughs> it was called sailplane yeah, and- song and an alternate title was glide plate song uh glide plane song yeah. i mean um and again i think carl's contribution he was probably lyrics because it's um a very yeah, Brian carl had a, yeah and carl had apparently a lot of fascination with planes oh really 
Anyways, oh, is that yeah, why you became so friends I with think... Roger McGuinn? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it could make sense. Um, yeah, so I get the feeling that that this is a kind of a you know it's it's an unusual lyric, but I think it's it's mainly a Carl lyric and a Brian melody. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, the lyrics don't sound very Brian at all, but it's it's quite psychedelic. This thing, it's it's um, sort of the first time since Smiley Smile they've done something in this sort of. You know, it's it's sort of very spacey and sinister in a way. You've got like you know the drum beat and the whole like chord pick out, the whole riff in the chorus is like threatening almost. It's um, it's it's sort of sleepy in a way that I went to sleep was, but this is um quite a departure for them, and it's sort of been described by some people as acid rock, which I definitely wouldn't call it acid rock, but there's um a feeling of of something going on here. <laughs> there's a feeling of. I guess accepting doing it, do it again. There's kind of a feeling of unease. Yeah. In yeah. in all the all this music. Yeah, and unease I don't know is the word I should have used. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know if it's the unfinished nature or if it's just um, the style of music Brian was writing and recording and arranging. But it's there is sort of that running through everything, even though this is really scattered music. But um, yeah, and then at this session, they they apparently did more work on all i want to do they either did a new track which we haven't heard or they just um transferred the uh the the tape to eight track yeah maybe to do no, vocals, to, no but they didn't, they didn't add one. any and there's also apparently they some didn't add any vocals brian playing around with some chord progressions for some other untitled thing as well at this session that we haven't heard yeah um quite a bit that that will and i have not heard um even though you know that that great 2018 digital release has cleared up a lot of questions about this stuff mm, there's still some um, things that are left a mystery um yeah even to us yeah even to us <laughs> so, so but they they were later in the fall they were considering this for the album they were you know this is one of the contender songs that they were still thinking about yeah but they didn't finish it for 2020 and it's left as this sort of um i mean you can hear the raw recording and what that sounds like if it's mixed on the endless harmony soundtrack in 98 but for 2012 um they did a new quite controversial stereo mix which I quite like. I think it's pretty cool, but it's not very historically accurate, which uh, adds all these crazy echo effects to the drums and, you know, all this feedback stuff to Brian's voice at the end of it, which it makes it sound a lot more psychedelic and heavy and complete in a way. But it's, it's you know, it's not, I don't think it would have ever sounded like that in 68, but I, I quite like it for what no, it is. No, but it's a, it's, it's a way to kind of complete the song. Sort of, yeah. Um, yeah. Without, without, uh, you know, actually recording anything onto it, which you never want to do with with old beach boy recordings but um but the the, the song's history doesn't end there because um al sort of wrangled this off brian and um began a sort of 30-year war with himself to get it done um <laughs> basically i think al said in a, a recent interview in esq that uh, brian's the one who actually retitled it loop-de-loop so brian was still thinking about uh, this song and developing it um, but then from there, Al got interested and said, yoink, this is mine now. Um, and he went kind of nuts with it. And we'll talk about them more in like when we get into the 1969 stuff. But he recorded this crazy track, this like unfathomably dense circus music uh, with a million overdubs <laughs> and musicians and all these, you know, insane sound effects. And um, he changed, you know, the feel of the song quite a lot. So it's not quite so dark and eerie anymore and quiet. It's now like the circus and... Um, it's all this noise and these, these really exuberant vocals with Al singing right at the top of his range with these key changes. And it's just nuts. It's like, it, it's a real, it's a real kitchen sick production. And then 
I wasn't satisfied with it. And he kept talking about in the seventies, like, Oh, we'll, we'll make it a new good vibrations and just add some cellos and it'll be a hit. Um, and, uh, then he was like, <laughs> we're going to turn it into like an eco-friendly song and it's going to be part of a concept album. You want to do in the early eighties. And then for the, for the Christmas album in 77, they added these new terrible, terrible lyrics to the, to it and renamed it. Santa's got an airplane. And then finally he finished it to a satisfaction in 98 by adding some, some new vocals and some extra drums. And Steve Desper is a carnival, um, carnival barker, which is magic. I love that. Um, so yeah this this went through a long and the, the thing that's so funny about the history of this thing is like i was like yeah i'm gonna finish it and then brian just had no interest whatsoever like brian did not like it like he he was asked in 81 like is loopy loop gonna be in the next album because i think al mentioned it, it was it was played on the radio or something and brian just goes no we want to do something good um <laughs> so classic brian answer cl- classic brian but yeah this, this one this one we, we're, we're gonna pick up with it again in like a year's time uh it but I, I always prefer a cell plane song, even though I do love loop-de-loop. I'm not like anti loop de loop as some people are. Um, okay, so that's uh, that's sail plane song. Uh, more to come later. And uh, now we got to talk about Old Man River. Yeah, Old Man River. So this is one that has a story about it in the Peter Carlin book where um, Brian was you know trying to do all these versions of it and then there was sort of an argument with the group where they decided they didn't want to spend any more time doing this Old Man River thing and Mike sort of was kind of I think Brian said like Mike was quite smug about that one and it, it was one of these things that sort of sent Brian to one of his depressions and I don't know how true that is because really there's only two versions of the song on tape there's one that's like a slower sort of acapella attempted it um well with organ as well and then there's one like a fully produced faster track um that they only did a scratch vocal for and gave up on. And there's apparently some friction on the tape with them sort of arguing and not really getting it finished. And the one that's on Hawthorne, um, the Hawthorne compilation was spiced together from a couple of different takes. Um, but it's, it's a really pretty, one of the prettiest things they did, um, this year. Um, and it started, it was found like unmarked on the reel that has, I went to sleep when they were doing research for the Hawthorne compilation. And I guess it was done the same time they were doing vocals for I Went to Sleep whenever that was, because it's the same four people line up in a freshman type arrangement. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, there's some talk about, you know, whether it's right or not for some, like, a white people to cover a song like Old Man River, especially people as white as the Beach Boys, but it's definitely undeniably like a really pretty arrangement. And I still love listening to it. <laughs> yeah, the, the organ version that you're talking about was recorded live like meant for you with brian playing and all four of them singing brian al carl and, and mike um i think it was at least yeah yeah that's the four um, of them and it's it's a um yeah. an interesting arrangement as well because um there's part of it where they switch harmony parts it starts off in the intro with brian on top and then carl then al then mike and then for the next few lines al's actually singing the top part and brian's kind of down below and then later on um when the organ drops out it goes back to brian being on the top again so someone you some things they didn't do very often and al sounds really good when he sings the soft part and i think it it's it's nice here and brian sort of lower in one of those harmony stacks and then he you know he comes up and does the the usual thing and them that planted are soon forgotten Very, very pretty. It's a, uh, it's a really great arrangement. 
And then the other version is a, is a whole different animal. So mm. Brian, you know, in his um in his old music mode takes two old songs that don't really have much to do with each other. Um Old Folks at Home, which is um something he'd covered with the honeys um as surfing down the Swanee River and then later with the Beach Boys as um South Bay Surfer. Mm. Uh he takes that and just uses a verse as an intro to what is basically just an up-tempo version of Old Man River. Yeah. And um this is out of all these out of all these songs, we've only really talked about these really light tracks that the Beach Boys are doing themselves besides Do It Again, which Carl kind of beefs up later. But this is a, a whole group of session musicians. This is kind of more like in the vein of the Friends recordings. Yeah, this sound this really sounds like a Friends track. Yeah. Like in sort of the atmosphere of it, it's sort of like up and bouncy as well. It's like it's very friends. Um, so, the, so the musicians yeah. on this one, you've got, um, you know, some of the Beach Boys were playing on this. Brian, Carl, Bruce, Dennis. Not quite sure who did what, but it would obviously be probably be Dennis on drums and Brian playing piano. Not quite sure who's on bass. But Alvis Gogo played acoustic guitar. Um, Tommy Morgan's playing the harmonica, and Bortana um, is also on trombone for this one as well because he played trombone on. Be here in the morning, darling, and now he's back to do the same thing again. And he's not just the Thurman guy; he's, you know, doing his usual thing. It's quite nice to just to see him back. Um, <laughs> so it's again, it's it's quite a simple arrangement, but again, it's a little bit heavier than the things they've otherwise been doing this month. And then also on this thing, they've got four cellos as well, which uh, Igor Horoshevsky, who is like he worked with the Beach Boys quite a lot, Raymond Kelly, David Filberman, and Joseph Tertullio, who I think's played on some sessions before this as well. And um, it's interesting, they have this sort of piano intro where he plays the, um, the Swanee River melody. And that was apparently, mm-hmm. if you listen, apparently on the session, um, it was talked about as that was going to be a guide for an a cappella intro that they didn't end up recording, uh, which is a shame. I mean, I, I like it the way it is, but uh, that, that was the plan there. It wasn't just going to be a piano intro. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's a, you can hear he's playing basically a four-part vocal thing. There's there's four harmony parts to what he's playing on the piano. Yeah. And presumably, if they finished the vocals, uh, they'd be on top of that, and it would be you know, an intro similar to the the other Old Man River that he'd recorded on the organ. And um, <laughs> I have a feeling he only connected these songs because they both start with old. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so <laughs> we need someone out there to to make this a medley with the old master painter <laughs> smile and uh then we have an old trilogy of old songs that start with old i mean that's interesting because in the um the byron price biography in the 70s jim locker was asked about the old master painter i think and um i think he confused it with old man river because jim locker wasn't around for that but he says that they um you know did a track and then called these uh cellos up and then did the cello stuff at like midnight and i think that was jim locker actually remembering old man river because it's just it's also got old in the title um but yeah, and, and these cellos were recorded at midnight. Yeah, so. they, they were. I mean, the cellos don't have a lot to do on this track. They sort of they play this really sort of pretty intro part, um, and then they sort of sit under the first verse as a sort of like low pad, and then they just drop out for the rest of the track. It's like like again, it's yeah, Brian doing getting spring, that, string players to do something very specific and then dropping them. Yeah, and that that intro that that sort of um, connects the planned old folks at home intro with the main old man river song is also sort of in the in the smile vein of 
chromaticism and yeah yeah and um you know it's it's in the arrangement it's in the um the idea of taking an old song and you know doing it with acoustic guitars and harmonicas so it, it's mm. all kind of kind of similar but um they didn't end up finishing the vocals on this one they did some scratch vocals um where they did some takes that just didn't get anywhere yeah and it's like one take, it. of a, one take of a single track scratch vocal with brian alcohol and mike again before singing on this thing. yeah Mike does a pretty great take of the the bridge, um, which they didn't use in the in the mix that was on CD. That I think you can only hear that in the 2018 um, on that digital release. But um, he sounds really great there. Oh yeah, he sounds and, really good. And it's a shame you can hear Brian talking in the background. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's just such a bummer that this stuff wasn't finished because it's really really pretty i know and it sounds almost finished enough. you can only it's imagine what the beginning they were considering finishing this in the fall but they didn't this is a shame but it's it's like it's enough that you know for the 2018 set i'm glad i'm i'm normally against this kind of revisionism but i'm glad they did this where they synced up the earlier chorus vocals for the final chorus to make it sound more complete i like that a lot um mm-hmm. It's, it's a really cool vocal arrangement, but you can tell they're still sketching it out. Like some of them sing like the wrong lyrics to each other, and uh, mm-hmm. then they drop out and they're talking under Mike's part, and then they come back in a little bit out of tune afterwards. Um, it's just really a shame. You've got to wonder what happened here because it's apparently something where where Mike was the one who, you know, refused to. I don't know how true it is that they that there was some sort of spat that they didn't want to keep working on it, but something happened where they just gave up halfway through a recording session. Yeah, I'd love to hear the. Um the session for because it, it sounds like an interesting thing to listen to yeah. and i just want to kind of understand how how true that 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 thing is which has probably just grown into a bit of an exaggerated legend mm. but um yeah i mean the description we've got of it is of the organ session um with the acapella thing apparently everyone's kind of like making jokes and not really taking it seriously brian's having a sort of bad day and seems to be agitated and calls basically leading the session is uh, the description we've got of that and then of the the um the tracking session later, Carl again is sort of taking a semi leadership role and encouraging Brian um on that one. But they just recorded mm-hmm. the track at that point. You don't hear them doing the vocals. Um and the way yeah. they, the way they did it is um again this is just granulated ill. They did the entire track and then they went back into the cello intro and then they recorded the main section. So what has been released has sort of been like spliced together. So the next song we have to talk about is a song called Walkin'. And um, this is another weird one that doesn't really sound like any of the rest of this stuff. Yeah, this um, is like the Beach Boys Love You, but eight years early. <laughs> yeah, this is a, a Brian original and later became a, a Brian Al Jardine collaboration. Um, but I think at this point it was just 
maybe something that Brian had written on his own. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I mean, there's there's never really been said anything sad about the, the background of the song, but I just listened to the lyrics that ended up being recorded. It sounds like a very Al Jardine thing, and it was credited Brian and Al when it came out officially. So, very simple track again that Brian just did with his band, um, where he was playing piano, Carl was playing guitar, Al was on bass, and Dennis on drums. And then partway through the session, they called up a harmonica player, George Fields. Um, to just kind of riff in the background yeah and i mean it sounds like it sounds exactly like i mean if you, if you rearranged it it's basically the same thing as like we got a groove or um many of his things from like the, his solo career and all that sort of thing um with a really this, this really dumb drum pattern it's got this like drum intro and um it's brian's weird interpretation of of heavy rock which is just you know thumping on a on a floor tom that's that's all it is that's all it is yeah and uh, the session for this is interesting because they spent like forever trying to get a basic track for this down and dennis just keeps making mistakes like he's got he's got like a really easy job and he just keeps like sort of losing attention like he's not paying attention and then keeps messing up where he's supposed to be and brian's kind of agitated in cars kind of keep it together again which is uh, seems to be a pattern of Carl at this point he's sort of like keeping the operation going when Brian's like hey if we don't get this next take we're gonna have to give up and junk the track um so he's trying to sort of muster some enthusiasm Bruce played bass on the first take and then Al took over from there on with Bruce sort of watching and then you know like you said they called up a harmonica player George Fields to play some just bluesy riffing in the background which Brian was giving loose direction on but basically letting him do his thing and uh, once they got a basic track down, which is just this really simple piece of music, which is just like back and forth between these two sort of like an A section and a B section over and over again until it stops. Um, Bruce played the organ on this thing, which I'm um, not sure if they were using a Hammond B3 at this point or if it was just the the Baldwin organ, because I think Al said that in 1970, Al said that they only got, I've only just got a Hammond organ then. And we thought they used some, it on Friends for some stuff, but like looking back, it's kind of starting to think that they didn't have one of those for, until a while later. And the Baldwin does have a sort of pretty versatile sound and could get the sort of like vibrato-y, churchy thing. So I'm going on an organ tangent, we don't really need to go on, but you know, anyway, Bruce played the organ. <laughs> um, and on top of that, they also added a bass harmonica and a fuzz bass as well, which were all sort of like combined together to one track. So it's a pretty it's a pretty basic recording. The next day, Brian kind of flushed it out by adding some trumpets um, that just kind of um, you know echo the vocal melody that hasn't yet been added. And then this track sat around and was not used for 2020. Yeah, um, they were considering going back to it this whole time, but never got around to it. Um, and then much later, um, while they were recording the Sunflower album. Um, this is late 1969. Uh, they pulled it back out, and maybe this is when Al wrote the lyrics because he was finishing up a lot of songs that Brian had kind of thrown to the side, and this might be one of them. Um, they copied this thing over to 16 track, and um, someone got Brian to do a vocal, uh, which is the only vocal on it. But uh, right before <laughs> he sings, uh, he goes, I don't want to sing it. And then he gets partway through this song, um, and 
screws up some of the words at one point and then just gets frustrated and then walks away and, <laughs> and that's, that's uh that's it it's crazy it's have. like he did exactly one take that was unfinished and then gave up and that's like the all they ever did with it like they gave up after brian threw down his headphones and like that's just what's left on the tape which is like it's wild when something like that like survives to the present day um but um <clears throat> that is all they did on it and um so we don't really know how the song ends lyrically we just have what he did there and maybe there's a lyric about walking at the end um yeah because it's, it's a bizarre it's, story it's some, kind of yeah about a little old lady who has a, a car which is um it breaks down and she tries to sell it or something like that and i, I mean i guess the the pun at the i mean i think the pun at the end is going to be he's got a like he's this is something about a car and then he's like goes i'm walking um because he's not on a car anymore because it's broken down i don't know what the whole point was but i think brian's original intention with this song was um the original like he basically he kind of he took the melody and turned it into morning beat for lucky old son in 2008 um mm-hmm. but those were some um scott bennett lyrics on the final song the original version of morning beat which just had lyrics by brian where he he's basically writing about going on a walk and that's all the song is and like the, the chorus is like i'm walking i'm walking down the street um so like you've got to wonder if that was brian's original intention for the song and he'd written something like that and then al tried to sort of bring it back out and then do this sort of little al jardine type cotton fields susie cincinnati type narrative thing to it um, that Brian yeah. wasn't going for and just gave up on after doing this kind of squirrely vocal and not really giving it his all and screwing around on it. Um, yeah, you got to wonder if if Brian's original intention was uh, lyrically kind of in line with I Went to Sleep and Busy Doing Nothing and all those songs about just uh, everyday life rather than this, like you said, this bizarre Al Jardine-ish narrative which seems to be... Uh, partially inspired by the little old lady from Pasadena. Yeah. At least I think yeah, they say think little so. old lady in it and it's about a car. Um, and yeah, you, like you said, he was writing other narrative songs about cars and people who drive them like cotton fields and Susie Cincinnati. So, Oh yeah. The other thing about this as well is when they did it for sunflower, they copied it without the, the trumpets on. They went back to the earlier tape generation and Brian put his vocal on that. So the one, the Mark Lynette mixed in 2018 kind of synced up the vocal to the tape of the trumpets and uh, mm-hmm. he loops the vocal at the end as well to make it seem a little bit more complete uh, for the fade out, which I really like. I mean, again, I've said yeah. it with Old Man River. I'm sometimes not against that sort of revisionism, but this, I, I like that it makes it feel like a finished song. And um, all these songs we're talking about, they make for a great playlist. They really do. Um, of like what a what a 2020 could have been. But you have to imagine if, if all these songs were finished, if, if Walk On By went into another Bacharach song and then they did vocals on All I Want to Do and Sailplane Song was finished and this was done and Old Man River. Yeah, I have a feeling that maybe um, the Audrey Wilson Is It True What They Say About Dixie was done around this time as well, just because Brian was sort of into old songs like Old Man River and, you know, all that sort of thing. And it just seems like the sort of thing you'd do because Al's like on the tape saying like something about Brian putting someone on and telling him he's going to do a tune and then they just record an old song. I, I, you know, I don't know what's going on there, but it just sounds like it would be the sort of thing they would do in 68. And Jim Lockett is still the engineer um, as he was doing his sort of last work for the for the band around this time, apart from the occasional appearance. Uh, Jim Lockett was also on the walk-in session. He hadn't quite gone yet. He was still occasionally showing up to work alongside Desper. And uh, yeah. so I've, yeah, I've just got a hunch that Dixie was again one of these summer 68 things, but it could have been like Friends era, I think as well. Um, it sounds like the piano, it sounds really specific. It sounds like the piano tuning on Old Man River to me. Like it's the, the piano is not quite as bright and detuned as, as 
it was on Friends and Wild Honey, but it's a little bit, you know, <laughs> more mellow. I don't know. That's just, just the way it sounds to me. But anyway, um, that's all the Brian stuff from June and May we've gone through. And now we get to something unusual. This is the first time Bruce has ever recorded his own song um, for the Beach Boys. And it seems like from the beginning, this was a Capitol-funded Beach Boys session. Bruce has said that um, he didn't fit on it didn't fit with the Beach Boys, but it seems like that was always what it was meant for. And uh, this is the instrumental nearest faraway place that began right back here at Brian's house. It's a, it's a Bruce song. It's, um, you know, whether it's just because he wanted to or whether it's because Brian was not finishing his own material, um, this is kind of the first instance of one of the other Beach Boys coming in with um, with their own song and recording it uh, without Brian, actually. Yeah. Right? Because this yeah. was done at, at his house. He's just Bruce um, using the studio, basically, with some session guys. Like, it's... Yeah, and, and Brian, um, presumably not in the room um you know maybe upstairs just in his bedroom maybe somewhere else i don't know basically it's bruce and session people including people like uh, david cohen and don peak on guitars chuck burkhoffer on bass jim gordon on percussion and alan astis also on percussion and uh, if you listen to the 68 um 2020 box set there's a mix of that from an earlier reduction mix that's kind of like where the song was at in in the summer um, at that point it's got like a piano that wasn't used later it's got Brian's detuned piano underneath there and uh, later on they took it over to New York and um, Bruce like replaced the main piano with a Fender Rhodes um, and then added like some strings that were arranged by a guy called Van McCoy and uh, <laughs> ended up being famous Van McCoy yeah the, the famous Van, Van McCoy um, so, so yeah, it ended up. This is one of the few things from the summer that ended up being on the album. But it's it's so out of step with everything the Beach Boys have done to this point. I don't know how I feel about it. I'm always like, I mean, I enjoy it when I listen to it, but I never actively like seek it out to listen to it. Um, no, it's, because it's it's just a kind of a background music. Yeah, it's it's, it's very uh, soft pop. Yeah, 60s, it's, you know, it's, it's very, very elevated it's music. Kind of, <laughs> almost a bit adult contemporary. It sounds a bit like. Um, the music Murray Wilson was doing on his solo album. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's um, and the Bruce would have this um, the solo spot at their live shows at the time where he played solo on piano. And I think, um, like it was he was like booed off the stage in Germany, and then in other places he gets like loads of applause. So it just depends what the audience is um, you play into it is, I guess. But yeah, it's um, yeah, it's, it's just I always just find it unusual that he'd be recording it this early and like intending it for a Beach Boys album like I originally thought that it was a solo thing that ended up being for the Beach Boys but I, I guess not because of um, you know the contract for the session says it's, it's Beach Boys it's I mean the thing I like the most about it is the title it's a really great title <laughs> yeah it Very is evocative. a great title <laughs> and it became a, a title of a, of a book later yeah you know with the, the roads and um, and the, the harp glissandos and the strings just it, it doesn't sound anything like the rest of the album and I know we already complain about the album being disjointed but like what is this <laughs> wow yeah yeah 
why is it on there? But you know, I guess Bruce was a band member, and、um, this is his contribution. And we'll later see everyone else kind of coming in with with more material.、Mm-hmm. This is, you know, besides "Well, You Know I Knew," which is, you know, kind of connected to a, a separate Manson project. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, this is kind of the, the first time、uh, we see.、Um, You know, a member of the band working without Brian for material on the next Beach Boys album,、um, and、uh, we've kind of reached the end of of all the material that Brian recorded、um, for this album at this time. And well, there's one more in a month's time that I would so sort of consider the same sort of period, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. But even then, that that was、uh, work on a new single, and yeah, yeah.、Um, you know, in in in、uh, past eras, this.、Uh, You know, month and a half, or I guess just a month worth of work, would have produced a new Beach Boys album. But instead, we have "Do It Again," which is finished. "I Went to Sleep," which is finished, and "We're Together, together again, again," which is finished. Yeah, which is finished, but didn't get used. Yeah, and then a whole bunch of unfinished material that could have been a great album. Could have this all could make up a great, great Beach Boys album, great follow up to Friends, but it just. For whatever reason, Brian couldn't bring himself to finish a lot of this stuff.、Um, yeah, so that's the end of that, and <laughs> and so after basically recording an unfinished album and a single for another artist that went nowhere,、um, <laughs> Brian stopped making music for a little bit because the Beach Boys went on tour, and when they go on tour, they take all the equipment with them. Yeah,、um, and so "Do It Again" ended up getting released on July eighth. With "Wake the World" on the B side, and、uh, while the Beach Boys toured, we've got recording of some of these shows as well.、Um, this July show, that's、did. right, yeah, yeah, which is strange because they've got kind of like、um, a horn section with them, and they're sort of doing this like frumpy big bounce, big pan sort of sound, which is、uh, like an odd thing to see them try and pull off. And they, the shows don't sound、yeah. so good, especially compared to like the late '67 stuff. Yeah, they had a, a big band. Backing them, and they even let the band、um, at each show do a, a little instrumental on their own, which is a little <laughs> bit bizarre. But、um, Steve Desper took the recording equipment, and he made like mono test recordings of of the、um, of the feed. And he also brought that Phillips delay unit with him, and、um, did they do it again? Used it as sort of yeah. An, yeah used used a double tracking effect on do it again when they did that live, and also、um, when they did certain songs like. God only knows to make it sound like live double tracking.、Um, so the、uh, the the Beach Boys on tour, I think, is is on streaming services and you can buy、mm. it digitally. That that has all these full concert recordings from July '68, and they're they're pretty interesting to listen to. Yeah,、um, I mean, this is also where we get live recordings of、uh, Friends and Little Bird as well, which、um, Mike goes on stage and calls it a bomb. <laughs> you know, it's a great way to get the audience hyped up. <laughs> Great job, Mike. You're、uh, you guys are really selling your own group with、uh, Bruce calling "Do It Again" bad when they're trying to sell it. Yeah, he's got this great bit of going. Hey, here's Danny Wilson to do、uh, "Little Bird," but you wrote, produced, directed, starred in, filmed, edited, and all that sort of thing. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah.、Um, I think Brian was in the audience with one of these shows. I think、um, I've heard that of one of these summer shows. I can't remember which one it was. And、uh, yes,、yeah, so, so cool. they came back from tour in mid July. And then Carl basically put together the Stack of Tracks album they started in、um, earlier in the year with Steve Desper, and I think Brian was quite uninvolved in 
in completing that thing. Um, there's a whole episode of Stack and Tracks that you can just go listen to instead of, you know, this. Um, <laughs> but basically, there's something interesting. Um, while they were in Albuquerque, Bruce was talking to the press in an interview and said that um, they, you know, basically said that they, their new single was going to be called Can't Wait Too Long, um, which I think is, like, very little known about it's not really been reported on very much that that was going to be a single but uh evidently they discussed it with brian and that was the plan and when they got back from tour besides assembling the stack of tracks album at capital um they brian went in the studio and really put a lot of work over a few days into um recording this new version of a song that was first recorded for wild honey um either it's been way too long or can't wait too long these two titles that were sort of used interchangeably So, with their with their new single being "Do It Again," and with um, really no way to to do an LP at this time, they didn't have really any finished material besides that "We're Together Again" and "I Went to Sleep." Like I said, um, they moved to recording their next single. So, um, as soon as they were done, they spent about a week on this thing. Brian recorded it and. This is almost like a, a, a mini heroes and villains saga where he continually rewrites the song yeah. and um, continues to become dissatisfied and, and remakes remakes it in parts, does sections, and it, it's a bit of a confusing saga and it all happened within a span of a couple days, but um, ultimately this is another thing that he couldn't bring himself to finish for whatever reason. And we'll talk about the recordings in a bit, but just to, to wrap it up, he um, did all these sections, did a whole whole bunch of work with session musicians, with harmonies, and um, just didn't put the thing together, and the Beach Boys had to go back out on tour. And that was kind of the end of that, and it just they just didn't have a, a next single. They released um, Stack of Tracks as their next album, and then continued work all the way out in September. But um, let's talk about the recordings. Yeah, I mean, okay, so so um, they started recording this thing on July 25th. It's um, But just before they did, well, I mean, the same day they did the basic track for this thing, Dennis also recorded a demo of a song he'd written with Stephen Carnage called uh, Mona Carna, um, which at this point was just, I mean, I don't know if it was a demo or if it was a basic track, but it's just Dennis playing piano and um, this, you know, simple chord progression. Not much to it, but the interesting thing about this is there is a Moog synthesizer on it, which is the first time that's ever shown up on a recording by the Beach Boys, apart from you know the Woo Woo machine. Um, and I guess they just like hired a, a Moog for the studio and were trying to just see what they could do with it um, to play around with it. And uh, yeah, so it's it's just uh, Dennis kind of screwing around with this simple synth overdub on top of a piano. Um, with a little bit of a different structure to the version he recorded later on. And I guess we'll talk about Monokana in more detail when we get to the later sessions, but it's, this is a cool sort of little historical artifact. It's a neat little song, a very Dennis chord progression, and... Um Neat little recording. Yeah, I don't know what he meant to do with this. The the synth overdub seems kind of 
more like screwing around than anything serious because yeah. <laughs> because there's some weird little things he does with it, but it's it's fun. You could tell he was having fun. Yeah, yeah. So that that sort of went nowhere. I think that was just because like they had it in the studio and wanted to try it out. And then Brian went to record this um, track for a new version of the song. So like last time we kind of talked about everything that they did for Wild Honey and a few different releases of this thing have combined it into the 60, 67 version. But um, I think we sort of laid out what was done in 67 and now we'll go through just what was done in 68, which is quite a different style of thing to what they did in 67. You know, where that yeah, was a sort of very, very scrappy, different. rough, um, you know, rocky type thing. This is very... It's it's a very sort of like delicate, intricate pro- um, production with a, a lot of overdubs and you know a cool sound to it. It's it's very in line with the other stuff he'd been doing for, for the um, in the, the summer of '68 session so far. But it's um, a little bit more elaborate than anything else he'd done up to this point. A little like you know it's um it's got like vibraphone on it. It's got all this um, hand percussion instead of drums. It's eventually put strings on it. Um, feels like Brian going in to produce a single mm. in the same way he did, you know, like Little Bird and Friends, rather than Do It Again, which is more like a very basic recording that became a single later on and, and became bigger with, with um, you know, overdubs and post-production. But this is this is a, a great, a great Brian Wilson arrangement and production from the start. Yeah. Um, so I guess just start with the, the first thing he recorded, which is basically a, a full song yeah it wasn't in sections it just started out as a thing quite similar to the wild honey structure of the song basically but um a little bit tweaked so it's just a verse it's a chorus which is quite a long chorus it's like got full rounds of this progression with the um the wind chimes chromatic um bass riff in there and then another verse and then another chorus and then there's sort of like a, li- a tiny little bridge section a half verse and then another chorus to fade out and they were just recording like a basic track with the structure at this point it wasn't like you know, it was like a three and a half minute long song. It wasn't anything particularly complicated. Um, and the original lineup on the basic track, there are some early takes that are Brian playing um, a roxichord. Um, Bruce is playing, it seems like Bruce is playing the uh, Baldwin organ, sort of just doubling the bass line. Carl's on fuzz guitar. Laura is playing a Fender bass. And then a guy called Franco Aero, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, is playing congas and then a tambourine in the chorus. Uh, Norm Jeffries on vibraphone, and then it seems like Dennis is playing a synthesizer on this thing, like the synth that was on Monacana. There are these little squeaks that sort of follow the um, the uh, vibraphone line, sort of staggered behind it a little bit. And um, as far as we can tell, you know, Dennis's voice shows up on the session tape at the end of the take, and we think he's probably playing um, a synth on this thing, although it's like it's quite hard to tell, and it's very sort of in the background. It sort of seems like, you know, maybe they hired this thing just to see what it could do, and then decided to put it on the song, like just you know because they could um but it's plays a small role in in the track it's not very you know immediately apparent what's there and we're still not completely sure that that's what it is but it you know seems like mm. likely and then it's it's like after this um they recorded a few takes that i guess one was considered good enough to be a master and then brian went back to do a pickup take which is what ended up being the familiar sort of track for the song where he switched over to his piano instead of the roxichord and then led through a thing from the second verse onwards and then that's what's been used on the good vibrations box set on the twofer on all these releases and that was sort of the foundation for what came next but from here on they had another session right afterwards the same day um like the one well into the night and from here brand basically started like overdubbing like the loads of stuff on top of this thing and replacing parts 
and changing around the structure like almost immediately as soon as he got this thing recorded. So the organ that Bruce played on the basic track is gone, it was erased, the original bass was um, erased. And now he gets a, a bassist who played with a lot of Wrecking Crew stuff called Max Bennett that he'd never really worked with before. Um, is here and he gets him to you know replace the bass in the verse with an upright bass part with which is like a new part instead of you know doubling the vibes line it's now like a sort of ascending type thing the bass in the chorus is replaced um he gets norm jeffries to add these um drums with the with like brushes in the verse and sort of just a few simple snare hits going into the chorus it seems like there were claves at some point in this track that were kind of taped over later and then Carl plays a few guitar parts as well, including like an acoustic guitar and then an electric guitar that's kind of buried in the track as well. Um, and mm-hmm. this is this is like already getting kind of complicated because it seems probably this latest session as well, he recorded this new section, which is like a faster sort of version of the verse section, which with like hand claps um, and uh, a different bass line, an acoustic guitar and some sort of like drum fills which is sort of mysterious like it's we think because there's an upright bass on there it would have probably had to have been done on this day with the session guys but when they you know how exactly it fits into the timeline isn't quite clear but it, this is uh, the thing that only showed up on like the 2018 release finally um with this really cool sort of riff sound on top of it well we're not really sure if this is like a 12 string guitar or if, it, or if it's a chamberlain or a keyboard but it's this um odd sounding like poppy riff that um it's very different in sound to the rest of the track. It seems like when they went into this recording, um, they went in with what was a great song, but I don't think Brian was ever fully satisfied with it because when we get to the vocals, um, you know, we have the chorus, which is we've got lyrics and we've got him doing a bunch of harmonies with Al. But even when they did this during Wild Honey, um, which he never ended up finishing, they never ended up recording any lyrics for the verse. And when you hear him playing that version on the piano, he's kind of humming this melody in the verse. Um, and here, when he does the verse, um, you can only kind of hear him talking it over to Al, and it almost seems like he he's rewriting a verse that he hasn't fully written yet. It's like he doesn't know what the melody is going to be. Yeah, like um, so. I think he was he was pretty dissatisfied with the song in general, which is what led to him continually reworking it day after day, and then ultimately just saying, you know what, this isn't going to be the next Beach Boys single. Yeah, it's like he liked the feel of it and the riff of it, but he didn't really, you know, it wasn't much of a song to him at this point. Hmm. So the day afterwards on July 26th, he has a string session, which just again, like it's one of these simple 67, 68 Brian string things where they just have like a pad of sustained chords in the, in the chorus. And, uh, you would, it's, it's, it's quite similar to aren't you glad in that way. It's like not even immediately apparent that there are strings there. It could have just been done like an organ or a chamberlain or something, but you know, Brian does what Brian wants. And then um, they did some sort of incomplete vocals, which I think are probably maybe on July 29th, although we're not really sure about that because there's a 
a date of 24th on one of the reduction mixes, which would be impossible, so it might be a miswritten nine. But anyway, in, in the chorus, they do um, these backing vocals that are just Brian, Carl, and Al going um, all together. And then, again, Brian and Al have that sort of like little scratch vocal attempt at the bridge, and then Brian's basically just talking through what the lyrics are going to be with Al on the um, sort of verse reprise section. But he obviously wasn't going to keep this. And then Brian and Al add these backing vocals to the fade out, which are quite, you know, it's the same part as the 67 one, but they're not yelling it anymore. It's much more soft and Brian's doing the his um, his, his head voice part for that. And they, they blend really well on this. It's a really nice harmony part. But in doing that, they also taped over the bass part in the chorus. So it's in the fade out, I mean, so that's something Brian wasn't satisfied with. Um, you can hear it come back in towards the end of the track after they're done singing over it. So yeah, it's, it's like somebody like it's like he was changing his mind about this and coming up with new ideas on the spot like very very quickly as he worked on this thing. Yeah, and and um, to draw another parallel with heroes and villains, I think a big part of why he had such trouble with the song, getting it to sound like he wanted it to, was that it was just an album track for Wild Honey that yeah. he's now turning into a single, and uh, heroes and villains was just an album track for Smile that he later decided to turn into a single. So it's like when he takes a song that he already was working on as just another cut on an album and says, this is the next Beach Boy single, he has such a hard time getting it to the level of a song that he would write as a single. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, a good way. I didn't really think you know, about that, but that's a good way to think about it. And a similar thing happened with Do It Again, and I think it just in that case, Carl decided to, to take over. and um, But here... You know, that never happened. Or we have Brian drawing the line and saying, we're not using this. Yeah. But for whatever reason, um, even though I'm sure it would have been great and Beach Boys fans would love it and people would buy it, he decided that it wouldn't be worth putting out. And um, the song was just kind of tossed away. Um, and there are, as a result, there are a whole bunch of disjointed sections, which you can listen to on the on the 2018 set. And there's all these mixes everywhere. All right, we got a few more sections that he did at the end. Yeah, they they did a few reduction mixes, which added like this um, do it again type delay effect to the tambourine, which is pretty cool. Um, and onto that, they it's it's all what they did with this. They kind of bounced together some tracks and added the do it again type tambourine delay. But then Brian sort of like spliced the fade out of the song and then edited it onto that sort of fast verse where they do these wordless harmonies. Um, with the hand claps and the, you know, he cut the fade straight onto that thing and stuck it together and then they did some, um, he added like an organ in the fade out as like a new bass line, again he's changing the bass line into this sort of like, this new part, um, this just, just done on the Baldwin organ and then he added these, um, I guess you could call it the lead vocal in the fade out which is a new melody, like if you listen to the original session, he's, um, over that entire fade out, he's singing the original melody that was in the Wild Honey version where he does lead vocal there, but when he overdubs it, it's a whole new thing where he's singing this very sort of slow, syncopated, droning kind of part, which is really cool. It's a really good vocal with um, a high harmony above it, which blends in. I think, it, I think I'm not sure who that high, that high harmony is, but I think it's probably Carl. And then um, Mike has a really great bass part along with it as well.
this is one of the the very few songs that he did where he did a track and then he changed the melody on top of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, for seemingly the whole song, and, then, and so you get like almost a new song based on the same chords. I did a similar thing with "Don't Back Down," but that actually got released on an album. But then after this, on July thirtieth, they recorded some new parts to it, and they did this sort of piano, acoustic guitar, bass, and tambourine thing that usually shows up as, as the song's intro on the two for on the Good Vibrations box set, um, and it was used on Lucky Old Son as well. Um, you know, it's sort of unconnected from the rest of it, and it's completely different from it to anything he's done for the song so far. It's a whole new piece of music, very sort of melancholy and slow, with these um, great vocal harmonies. Um, yeah, and this this is apparently, I mean, it's used as an intro in all these assemblies, but on the tape box it was marked as a verse, and if you listen to the bootleg with the full ending, it plays the first chord of the chorus at the end of it, so it seems like this is maybe Brian sort of replacing the entire verse that he'd written and maybe not been satisfied with so far into with this that would go into a chorus and then into a bridge and then another chorus to fade out. I miss you, darling. I miss you so hard. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's a little bit absurd. The We just have a few days of them working on this and it's changed like four times now already. Yeah, they did a new bridge in this as well because Brian had that sort of... Um, I miss you, darling. I miss you so hard. And I come back and don't break my heart. Part that was on the um, the original track, but they left like a scratch vocal on that. And it seems like he probably wasn't going to use it at that point because he just left like these incomplete vocals and then didn't dub it down. Um, so there's a new bridge that's like kind of in a different key, which, which is the same part basically. And now it's got overdubs of Brian Carlisle and Dennis singing harmonies over it. And then it goes into a sort of like reprise of the intro slash verse section with that sort of you know ominous chord progression. And then it has like a little intro, sort of, sorry, like a little outro with Colin Bryan trading lines um, that I guess would lead back into another section, um, which is really cool. And that again was first released on the 2018 set. It hadn't been on anything before. And uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like maybe this was, these were just like replacements for the, for the verse section and this new chorus thing with a new vocal melody would fit in between it. But I, I don't know what he was going for with this, really. I mean, it's not really self-evident what he was going to do yeah it's kind of mysterious so that's the last piece that he he recorded uh for this song and um a lot of these parts do feel complete on their own but then we're still missing any kind of lead vocal yeah it seems it seems like that those ooze since it was like considered a verse section i guess there, there was this is going to be like backing for a lead vocal with lyrics i guess yeah but it's just ended um, up being like a wordless section yeah, you gotta wonder, you know, he had lyrics on the Wild Honey version in the chorus, but you gotta wonder if maybe he was gonna change those lyrics. And then you have him, you know, talking through the lyrics on the early verse here. Mm. The ones that are like, now we're alone, lying down, looking up at the stars. Um, Which are really good lyrics as well. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I, and so are the, the earlier ones. You know, windows of darkness are all I can see through, yeah. searching the shadows, hoping to see you. Yeah, That's, great. Those are great lines. Yeah. But, um... It's a shame that he didn't finish it, but, um... Yeah, yeah this new section as well. A, they had a... I mean, sorry, yeah, like, the original... Sorry, go ahead. Um, the, I mean, the verse section so far are just, um... Just these two chord vamps, and so is the chorus as well. It's kind of just, like, going between two chords and then modulating down, and I guess maybe he wasn't satisfied because of, like, that. It was sort of quite simple and hard to fit a melody over, so... 
with this new sort of section on July 30th, it's this much more elaborate um, chord progression and it's like a whole new, more complex piece of music that might have been his motivation for doing it. Like it just sort of interested him more. Um, but um, yeah, what a, what a mysterious song. And the fact that as well, the fact that Brian's like, I don't think Brian's ever commented on this in an interview. I don't know if people just haven't asked him about it, but I've never seen him say anything about the song. And bringing it back for Lucky Old Song was Darian's idea. It wasn't Brian's, so... Yeah. Yeah. Was this one of the songs that he vetoed for um, the Smile Show? I don't think so. I don't think 2004? so. 2004? No, I'm thinking of Time to Get Alone. That's, yeah, that's, that's the one, one that they wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah, well, if you look at, at the timeline here, they come back from their, their Midwest tour, and um, they've got about two weeks before they go back out on tour. Um to get a single recorded and apparently Brian, you know, they already knew that it was going to be this song. Um, so they must have talked about that sometime in June and, um, they have plenty of time to get it done and it just does not happen. Um, it's just revision after revision before Brian just says no. And, uh, then they go back out on tour. It would have been while Bruce is on tour in um, August when Bruce said that the next single was going to be like, Brian's got like some magical things up his sleeve and it's going to be like, not like do it again. It's going to, it's going to be danceable. So it seems like they were still planning on finishing this <laughs> thing when they got back. And, when, yeah, and yeah, later in the but, fall when they were going over songs that were potentially going to be on the album, they had, a you know, they were listing some things to go back and review. And for this one, they mentioned um, they, they needed to overdub a solid drum to it, which I guess is because in the chorus, the entire thing's driven by the, the tambourine. It's not got a solid backbeat like the original one had. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't completely given up on right away, but there were lots of attempts to sort of resurrect this over the years. It got conflated with Smile stuff on some bootlegs. Um, Dennis got the tape back out in 1978 um, and did a mix of it then, and it was put on the sort of Fire Tapes compilation, and Byron Price got a copy of it. And then... Uh, Jim Gersio wanted to put it on the LA Light album and Bruce was kind of like been talked into that. And then again, they got it out while they were working on keeping the summer alive and reviewed it then, but didn't really do anything beyond make a transfer of it. And then like, as they were finishing the keeping the summer alive album, Bruce went and did a new track of this that I think was meant for Captain and Tennille, um, which we haven't heard. It's like a, a whole new track. It didn't involve the rest of the Beach Boys. And, uh, you know, Alan Boyd and, and uh, Craig Swinsky have both described this thing as, like, disgusting. It's, like, really, like, contemporary, like, early 80s, disco-fied, like, sax thing, and it's supposed to be awful, but I really want to hear it. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Yeah. So that kind of marks the end of this period of work on Beach Boys recordings, and it also sort of marks the end of the Beach Boys as a unit that's led by Brian Uh He's getting more distracted and unable to finish his material, and uh, we see Carl stepping up a lot. But um, when they get back to recording, it's uh, a lot of things are led by Carl and Dennis, and um, Brian doesn't show up a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, he was going through some, you know, it seems like he first sort of started getting into a lot of, you know, personal problems when he first had a kid, when Carney came along. Um and as well as the whole thing, I think Carl said where he'd just been, he related this to Wild Honey, but I think it's also more, probably more true of this year that Brian had been doing the whole thing for like seven years and he was just tired of it at this point. He alluded earlier in the year in January that he'd run out of ideas for the Beach Boys and again, he got, got some inspiration for Friends, but it seems like he was kind of just tired of of all the work he'd been doing for so many years at this point and wanted to just sort of take a step back and he was a bit disillusioned with, with the group and... 
and where they were at at this point. And, you know, his interest kind of wanes and he does some things for 2020. He's not completely out of it. And he allegedly um, checked into a psychiatric ward at some point in 68. We're not quite sure when that was. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't think that stopped him from being part of any sessions. It seems like, you know, there's never a time where he's consistently not participating. It's just like kind of he's in and out when he feels like doing a few things. Like he, you know, he helps get together time to get alone and uh, his cotton fields with Al later on and he's working with the honeys. Um, But pretty much from here on until breakaway, he's like retires, sort of semi-retires from working with the Beach Boys for a while. Yeah, kind of kind of a bummer to talk about. Yeah, because uh, everything that we've talked about on the show has been, um, uh, you know, stuff that that has been led by Brian Wilson, and it's obviously all the Beach Boys, but it's it's Brian Wilson. Um, even when it, it, we have to kind of talk about how it hasn't been perceived that way. Mm. Um, but this is when that actually starts to come true, and the Beach Boys actually just start working without him. And, and by this point, they've learned enough to be able to write songs and produce songs and, you know, run the studio, which <laughs> which is below his bedroom. Yeah. While he's in his bedroom. So, more on that in the next episode, and we'll actually talk about material that made the album, which we've barely covered. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> in part one. So, we'll see you guys um, soon when we get back to the home studio. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye. See you guys. Huge thanks to Will and John. As always, if you want to hear more from them, there is an excerpt from this episode all about the failed Ron Wilson sessions that Brian produced on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash sale on. It's a great way to support the show, keeps all the nasty advertisements off of our lovely podcast. And uh, I want to thank the newest patrons, Jordan Lambert, Jacob Samuelson, Michael Ross, Mark Gray Nichols, Andrew Tompkins, and Johan Signert. You guys are amazing. I love you. We love you. We love you. Huge thanks to Jordan and Derek, who came out to see us, the Ceylon Band, in Beaver Falls. And um, also a huge thanks to our very own Nia D'Amelio for um, throwing together a really lovely little thank you and congratulations video to uh, celebrate the five years of the podcast. That was really sweet, and I put um, a link to it in our Patreon page as well. Lots of former guests and cast members of the show involved, and it really touched my heart, and uh, I'm really appreciative of all you guys. So that'll do it for this week. We've got a lot to talk about coming up. Um, stay tuned. We've got a special bonus episode. As, as we uh, record this, we are just mere days away from hearing this new box set, so hopefully you guys dig into that. We're going to have something special for you soon and um then more 2020 so talk to you guys soon love and mercy to you and your friends tonight sail on sailors
yeah, it's kind of cool. I I usually like listening to the um the original mix on the Endless Harmony soundtrack because yeah, that's me too. that's got the organ riff and that's not in. Oh yeah, the little organ riff not in, in the, the later, which is the best part of the song. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far. Oh, I, I like the whistling. <laughs> I like the whistling a I like, lot. That one. I also like when he goes nyong, but <laughs> <laughs> so funny. It's, a, it's such a Brian thing to do in a in a song about a plane is just start making plane noises. I know, it's, it's hilarious. I know it's great. <laughs> 